From Vermont Digger, I'm Mike Doherty. This is The Deeper Dig. Today is Friday, August 3rd. Vermont's primary elections are on August 14th. In addition to dozens of House and Senate races, Governor Phil Scott is facing a slate of challengers for the state's top office. We're here in the CCTV Channel 3 studios for the first 2018 gubernatorial primary debate. In debates over the past two weeks, those candidates have worked to distinguish themselves, not so much from each other, but mostly from Scott. This wasn't a cutthroat forum last night. It's not like these candidates were going after each other and pointing out flaws in each other's career path in each other's policy platforms. Xander Landon moderated our forum with the Democratic candidates on Channel 17 this week. They all sort of saw it as more of an individualized experience. They basically all said that experience in public office isn't a prerequisite to being qualified to serve as governor. What matters is your values, your leadership skills, and the life experience that you bring to the table. That's something that we heard from basically everyone to some extent. James. James Ellers talked about his advocacy over the years, how he's always sought to bridge the two Vermonts, you know, the the working class Vermont and the more elite world of Vermonters. For me, I've started my career, if you will, entrusted with the lives of uh, our fellow Americans as a naval officer, um, preparing them and, if necessary, to take people into combat. So I feel like um, at the age of 22, uh, 21, uh, that experience has transformed my entire life, actually, uh, dealing with people from all different backgrounds, from, from all over the country, all economic classes, gender, race, and leadership is about values, and it's about principles, and it's about leading through example. And so people are tired of the status quo. They're tired of entrenched special interest. And so running without corporate money, running an entire uh, year of a grassroots campaign rallying the two Vermonts. I, I have the ability to bridge the two Vermonts and deliver on the state that we all know we can be and want to be. Thank you very much. Christine Hawquist. Christine touted her, how she was able to turn around a near bankrupt utility to one of the most successful utilities in the state and one of the most successful rural electric cooperatives in the country. When I came to the co-op, we were on the edge of bankruptcy. We were, uh, the state wanted to put us out of business. We had the highest number of outages in the state. Um, and I pulled the employees together and I said, look, I have strong business background. I've worked with a variety of businesses, but I only give myself a 10% chance of success. If we all pull together, we can be successful. I also did something else because I had experience working with um, unions and I have a strong respect for unions. I said, we're all, including myself, going to abide by the union contract. Um, that whatever raise you get, I get. And I know the power of pulling together. You can do miraculous things. Five years later, we, I was invited down to the Department of Energy. I thought I was meeting with one or two people. 
I met with all the heads of the department. They told us we were the most innovative utility in the nation. We also went from a triple B minus with a negative outlook to an A plus rating. And financial folks would tell you that's impossible for the size of the, of the company we were. Um, and we also cut our outages by more than one half. So I know the miracle of what can happen when people pull together. Thank you, Christine. Brenda Siegel. Brenda is the founder of the Southern Vermont Dance Festival. She's worked as an anti-poverty activist for a long time. What I know from my career, which is developing a long-term economic driver following Tropical Storm Irene, is that when you utilize the resources that already exist within our state and we connect them to small businesses and to our government, that is when we begin to build a bottom-up economy. We know that wealth does not trickle down and poverty does trickle up. We need to do what it takes to build from the bottom. We also need to support and promote our strong education system, doing things like implementing the ethnic studies standard and centralizing services closer to schools. <clears throat> Thank you very much. Uh, Ethan Sonneborn. I'm Ethan Sonneborn. I'm running for governor of Vermont. You know, he's a 14-year-old incoming high schooler. He says that age isn't a factor. He has strong progressive values and ideas, and that that's what matters. He called himself the change candidate. I can sum up my campaign in a simple phrase. It's the job of government to make people's lives easier. I think that, and let me tell you how I think we do it. I think we do it by making sure that we uh, increase access to health care across socioeconomic boundaries. I think we do it by raising wages. I think we do it by standing up for those in our state who have been exploited by the system. I also think we do it by building a government that puts people first. A government that recognizes that we as a state are only as strong as our weakest link. And that until we recognize this, and until we start to move towards a state that truly works for everybody, and an economy that works for everybody, then we can't recognize the Vermont dream. And so these are the things that we heard touted. You know, they don't have much experience in government or any, but they have experience in leadership and activism, and they strongly believe in their progressive platforms. What did we hear from Senator John Rogers? Senator Rogers is running as a write-in candidate, and I asked him to sort of explain, you know, why are you running as a write-in? Is this a serious run for you? I mean, he's not putting any skin in the game here. He sort of gets to keep his seat as senator, and also run for governor because he's doing it in this fashion where he's a writing candidate. So I asked him, you know, is this a serious run? He said, yes, it is. Absolutely, Xander. And I want to thank both Digger and Channel 17 for inviting me. It's the first forum I've been invited to. Uh, the the write-in campaign happened after petitions were uh, past due, and I got contacted by some folks who felt that there was no one in the race that um, they could support. They, they didn't think anybody uh, shared their values, and they asked me if I would run. So he agreed, and that's how he sort of explains himself for running in that fashion. I grew up on a dairy farm in Glover, Vermont, and uh, my family's been there for five generations, so we have deep roots, and a lot of the families around us have been there for as many generations. So it's a real tight community, and that's what I wish the entire state could be as tight a community as we have in Glover. What did we hear in terms of them trying to distinguish themselves from each other? I asked that question of them last night because I think from an outside perspective, if you look at their policy priorities that they lay out on their website, it's all very similar. It's, it's what you'd see of most progressive Democrats. 
they're all for these pro-labor policies. They're all for universal health care in some fashion. And, you know, environmental policies that crack down on polluters. There are a few things that set them apart, though not all of them did a good job explaining it when I asked the question last night in this debate. Brenda Siegel, she's running on a platform that's very focused on fighting the opioid crisis with more veracity. About three weeks ago, I released a four-part plan to heal the opioid epidemic. Uh, it includes harm reduction first, and right now our harm reduction center, uh, Safe Recovery, to fully operate would need about $600,000. We could ha implement that in every single county and spend only, ha only half of what I've allocated out of tax and regulate system, which tax and regulate brings a conservative estimate of $25 million, so $15 million is what I've allocated for harm for the beginning of my opioid plan. Christine Halquist has a policy that no one else does where she wants to expand broadband to rural Vermont, and she has a, a proposal to do that by making electric companies hang fiber optic cables in the way that they hang electric cables. Getting connected to, to the internet at high speed is probably one of the most important things we can do, and it's fundamental. And I say that boldly because I spent 10 years on an advisory committee that oversees the electric delivery for all of rural America. And Vermont is a microcosm of the problems we're seeing in rural America. You know, we're seeing increasing rates of poverty, flights to the city, and aging demographic. We saw the exact same thing that happened in the 1930s. And in that point was when the cities had electricity and rural America did not. Today we're facing the digital divide. James Ellers sets himself apart in his environmental platform. Sander, the foundation that our administration is going to govern from is one of investing in people and protecting the planet. He has a very robust plan to crack down on pollution and curtail water pollution. I mean, that's, that's what he has a background fighting for. He, he served as executive director of Lake Champlain International Water Quality Advocacy Group for more than a decade. Thank you very much. Uh, Ethan Sonneborn. He's clearly way ahead of his years. <laughs> Let's put it that way. I mean, he, he's clearly done his homework on a lot of these issues. He knows so much about progressive policy, and he's so good at, at talking about it. You can cut to him talking about anything on, like, single-payer health care or education funding, and he's like, got it, you know? We have to run a different kind of candidate against Phil Scott. Ah, uh, and we can beat him but we need to make sure that we are running the right candidate and the one with the understanding of policy and uh, the willingness to go to communities that typically vote Republican and talk to them about issues that matter. Senator Rogers, he has a very different platform. I mean, he, he is very clearly against any additional restrictions for, for firearm use in the state. So I'm, a, I'm a strong second, immense, uh, uh, second Amendment proponent, and I think all we did is turn uh, law-abiding citizens into criminals. Other than that, I mean, he has, an, he has a different idea about economic development. I asked all the candidates yesterday to talk about how they planned on bringing and attracting more young people and laborers and young families to the state. And John Rogers said, I don't think we need to do that. Uh, my idea is to um, try to grow from within. I don't think we're going to encourage a lot of big businesses to come here. We have high energy costs. We have high tax costs. Act 250 is hard for businesses to get through. So clearly has some different ideas about 
how to run state government if he was elected. But he also does share a lot of the, the values of, of the candidates as well. But overall, I don't think the candidates have really focused on distinguishing themselves in terms of their policy. They haven't gone out of their way to say, this is how I would run things differently than the other people that I'm competing against. They don't see themselves as competing with each other so much as they see themselves as competing with the yeah. governor. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. They all have very similar platforms. They all are for an increase in the minimum wage. They're all proponents of a paid family leave program. They all want single-payer health care in the future. And they see what Phil Scott did shooting down progressive proposals like the minimum wage and paid family leave bill. They see an unwillingness to work across party lines and, and, and provide policies that they see as the most essential for, for Vermonters. Our governor, currently Governor Scott, is not representing our interests as Vermonters. We're all working harder for less money. Access to health care is a struggle. We're in a child care crisis. Our waterways are being destroyed. People are not being compensated fairly for their full-time work. We, of course, need to do things like pass and sign the legislation that, uh, that Phil Scott vetoed this year that would attract families to our state uh, because our families can't, if they can't live here, they can't be here. I think I can beat the governor because he represents what people hate about politics. He represents people who have become so embedded in the system that uh, they've become allergic to work. Look at the way the governor's been running the state. He's been running it on division. That's not the Vermont I know and love. How does what we're hearing from Scott play into that? How has he been campaigning so far? He's touting what he sees as his achievements over the last two years. He has fought tooth and nail, somewhat successfully, somewhat unsuccessfully, to prevent tax increases for Vermonters. Well, again, we did prove we could do it. Uh, we did it last year. Even with not raising taxes and fees in that first, uh, first year that I was in office, uh, the organic revenue growth uh, was about $82 million. So we were spending, even though we weren't proposing raising any tax and fees, uh, we were spending $82 million more with organic growth in, in, the, in revenues. So it proved uh, that if you invest more uh, in the economy, you focus more in the economy, you focus on demographics, you try and bring more people in, keep more people here, that you can actually survive and prosper. Uh, he has successfully leveled most of the property tax rates that Vermont has seen in the last two years. You also hear him talking about how he's taking credit for bringing more workers into the state. We've added 4,400 workers uh, to the workforce uh, over the last uh, uh, six months, which is important because right now there are fewer people working today in our workforce than there were uh, in 2009. And that's part of our problem, the demographics that we're facing. So he's taking to the campaign trail, but at the same time, you can see just from the amount of money that he's raised in comparison to previous years, at the last campaign filing, he had raised a third or less than a third of the money that he was raising in 2016. I think that that's somewhat revelatory of the way the campaign is operated. He views this as a safe bid. He, I think he thinks that his odds are very good, as analysts would say that they are. What we have seen is a huge drop in his approval rating, and that has given them some cause for concern. Morning Consult came out with a poll a few weeks ago that shows that since the beginning of the year, 
his approval among Republicans and independents has plummeted. And the analysts who conducted that poll attribute that drop to his decision to sign the sweeping gun regulations that we saw in April. Um, I, um, I know uh, that I disappointed a lot of people. Uh, I, I regret disappointing people. Um, but at the same time, uh, I had to look myself in the mirror uh, and, and know that uh, watching what the, the governor of Florida was going through, going to 17 funerals, looking the, into the eyes of parents and friends, and uh, if that ever happened in Vermont, um, I'm not sure at that point in time I could say that we'd done all we could. Uh, and so I decided to take action. A lot of his base voted for him because he had pledged to keep Vermont's gun laws as they were, which was extremely open and unrestrictive. But this drop in approval numbers doesn't seem to be affecting the way that he's going about this campaign. No. He fully defends, and at least in, a, in public, fully defends and supports the decision he made in April to sign those laws. Well, again, uh, leadership and being governor isn't about uh, watching the polls and, and and uh, doing, uh, taking action um, based on what the polls would be or what the political ramifications would be. Um, I went into that uh, with my eyes wide open. And I think that's curried favor with a lot of Democrats. His approval among Democrats is extremely high, according to that poll. It's 61%. So while he's lost the support of Republicans, he's gained the support of more Democratic followers. Overall, his ranking is a lot worse than it was. He was one of the most popular governors in the country. I think he was number four at the beginning of the year. Now he's in the bottom 15 in terms of popularity. But he is facing a challenger in this primary. Yeah, Keith Stern is a grocer from Springfield, and he's sort of running against Scott on the premise that Scott hasn't been conservative enough on issues like gun control, on issues like taxes. He wants to go further to slash property tax and income tax rates. When they came up with a budget that didn't raise taxes and celebrated, I said, this is the final straw. We got such high taxes in this state, unaffordable for so many, and to just say, we're going to just not raise taxes, that's the solution, we're fine. That's not a solution at all. He wants to make big cuts to government spending. He wants to cut government employees and what he refers to as waste in government. I had a state, a retired state employee come up to me and said, there's agencies and departments where there's more management than actual workers. He said, you walk in the office, the phone's ringing, nobody there to answer the phone, but there's managers sitting there. Uh, 66 more state employees in Vermont than New Hampshire that make over $90,000 a year, even though we have about half the population. How is that justified? He is the only competitor that Scott faces. And it seems, if you go back to the debate tape, you can see that he clearly doesn't have a very good understanding about the basic functions of government, state government, and how it works. In the last debate that VT Digger hosted with the Republican candidates, Governor Scott gave Stern a little bit of a lecture on the three branches of government and how they work. Some of these things I can do on my own as, um, as governor in my own administration, making cuts, uh, having money to pave roads. 
Great, thank you. Governor? Um, well, actually you can't, Keith, uh, because they appropriate money. Uh, that's a separate form of government. The legislature has the authority to appropriate money. Uh, as I found out, uh, you don't have any uh, say in, in terms of, of spending money uh, with, uh, without the legislature's approval. So, wow. so you're going to have to work within the system. It's right. three, three separate uh, you know, you, you, legs of government. You have the executive branch, you have the, the legislative branch, and the judicial uh, branch. Oh, I understand that. I, so, I don't need so to yeah. lessen. I'm just saying, you know, if I say, here, I've cut $2 million, can we use it for paving roads? Are they going to say, no, we're not going to pave roads? Yeah, they will. Yeah, they, they say that all the time, actually. Well. <laughs> so it's very unlikely that Keith Stern will, will, will beat Scott in this primary. I don't think we're going to see high turnout in this primary. That's something that Vermont's Secretary of State, Jim Condo, said earlier this week. I heard him on the radio. He's attributing that to the fact that, you know, this is the end of the first term, two-year term, that Phil Scott has. It's not a presidential election. It's not a presidential year. election. You're right. It's not a. It's not a big year for the ballot. What he also said is that he thinks part of the reason we're seeing going to see low turnout is because we have a field of candidates who are relatively unknown in the state and who aren't really rallying the voters. He said something to the effect of, you know, we don't have any Bernie Sanders candidates running this year. I think that's too bad. I, I think that I think it's probably always going to be a challenge to get a high turnout, and I don't really know how you change that. Well, thanks, Andrew. Yeah, thank you. The primaries, once again, are August 14th. You can find more information about the candidates for governor and legislative races in VT Digger's election guide. Just head to vtdigger.org elections. A huge thank you to Channel 17 for producing both of these candidate forums. You can find the full recordings of both events on their website at cctv.org. The Deeper Dig comes out every week. Search for it and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts to get new episodes as soon as they land. We'll be back next week with more election coverage from the Digger Newsroom. Have a nice weekend. <laughs>